I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Dharma, I take refuge in Sangha. Grasses and trees, or earth and sky, Sashin, talk three. We're back inside. Didn't rain much after all. In Wilderness Sashin, which has been referenced once or twice, we had the opposite problem. And that's much more consequential. We thought we were going to get dry later, but we just got more and more wet. We're using the mountains and rivers, our sutra, sutra, as a practice tool, this sashin. And one line that I'll be, I'll be using for this talk uh, is ordinary people think that there's water in rivers and oceans, but Actually, rivers and oceans exist in water. I probably should just read it. Ordinary people think that there is water, think that water is always in rivers or oceans, but this is not so. Rivers and oceans exist in water. I was going to read another translation, but my bookmark fell out. I remember 10 years ago or so, after my younger brother graduated college, I went on a family trip down to Peru, and my brother and my mother and I went to the Amazon River, and I saw the Amazon River, and like all rivers, it was wet. And it was made of the same stuff that was in my bathtub. It was just water, and the water did not know that it was a river, let alone the Amazon River. It was just the same water that I had always come in contact with in the Amazon River, which was before that point in my mind a pretty cool thing, actually didn't exist. As there is nowhere that this water does not reach, it is our job as Sashin practitioners to get wet. Sashin, or Zazen, is a practice of integration. Integration within ourselves and integration 
with the components that appear beyond ourselves as we sit in time, as we sit in silence, as we sit with focus, we become our surroundings. And that's part of the attraction of grasses and trees, sashin, sitting outdoors, sitting in beautiful spaces, we want to become that beauty. But actually, our relationship with outside is quite limited. Functionally, we're fair-weathered sitters. And this is true of the weather. And if we're honest, this is true with the inner weather as well. But the deer and the birds, they don't have this option. During wilderness sashin, the day before it just poured on us, we were devoured by flies. And doing some research after sashin, I learned that this is common, that flies in response to a change in atmospheric pressure, load up on calories, i.e. blood. They're very sensitive to changes in weather. And as we were sitting the following day, as the rain came down upon us and there was nowhere to go, one of the practitioners later shared that he noticed a fly hiding under a rock from the rain. So it's well ingrained in us to seek comfortable circumstances. It's a habit of the fly. But also, because we are fair-weathered sitters, because we only want to sit outside when the weather is nice, we miss out on the opportunity of really noticing nice weather. In one moment, the earth, the great earth, is day and night. It's not a sunny day, it's not a rainy day. They both just move around. We have the teaching in Buddhism of the eight worldly winds, and I looked them up because I kept on coming up with 10, and I was curious about this, and it turns out there's several different versions, but the uh, most official looking of which seems to be 
that the following are inevitable in life, praise and blame, pain and pleasure, success and failure, fame and disrepute. And probably the reason why we so frequently include a gain and loss in there is because fame and disrepute sound so similar to praise and blame. And it would be wrong view to hear the eight worldly winds as a teaching saying in order to experience pleasure, we must endure pain. In order to experience praise, we have to endure criticism. In order to achieve success, we have to endure failure. If this were the way things were, every night when the sun went down, the deer and the birds would bite their lips and wait for it to rise again. But really the question is, in the darkness, in the cold, in the wet, can we open up to the goodness that is there? Can we open to the goodness and failure, to the goodness and pain? As beings that want to survive, it's naturally not easy to do. But the reason why this practice exists is because it's possible. Probably my least favorite sutra in the Pali Canon is the following. It's called a hundred spears, bhikkhus. Suppose there were a person with a lifespan of 100 years who could live a hundred years. Someone would say to this person, come in the morning, they will strike you with a hundred spears. At noon, they will strike you with a hundred spears. In the evening, they will strike you with a hundred spears. And you, good person, being struck day after day by 300 spears, will have a lifespan of 100 years, will live 100 years, and then after 100 years having passed, you will make the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths, which you had not broken through earlier. So, would you like to take up that life? Perhaps I was mistaken in this particular case to translate the word man as person. Maybe this is intentionally written as the way a stubborn person needs to learn. It is fitting, bhikkhus, for a person intent on their good to accept this offer 
For what reason? Because this samsara is without discoverable beginning. A first point cannot be discerned of blows by spears, blows by swords, blows by axes. And even though this may be so, bhikkhus, I did not say, I do not say that the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied by suffering or displeasure. Saying that suffering is beginless, but it is not necessarily endless. But again, it would be an archaic way to look at this as there's something to be endured in order for something to be gained. We have to be more intimate with our pain than that. We have to have faith that as the pain is part of this life. I believe it's a quote from Saint Anthony. In the end, even Satan is good for Satan too was created by God. It's a mistake to think that the sun is good after a long, cold night. Rather, we should come to know the good of the long, cold night. If we wait throughout the night for the sun to rise, when it finally comes, we will miss it. We will still be waiting. But if we really come to know the cold, when the warmth comes, we will really know the warmth. Generally during grasses and trees session, we spend our time outside. And outside often is the place that we go through on our way to inside places but not so during grasses and trees session. We were born of the outside and of us was born inside. Inside is something that we created and constructed. And the systems that we live in are systems of our construction. The clothes that we put on, the language that we speak, the systems that govern us, the buildings that we live in are all things that we have created and our lives exist within. But all of that exists within the world that birthed us the world that appears outside these windows. But it is mistaken view to see nature as outside those windows. Rather, 
What has arisen here has arisen within nature. But we need to go outside in order to see this because we forget because the habits of self-importance are so strong. Self-importance, which collectively becomes human value, human aspiration. But human aspiration is not necessarily shared by the great earth. When people often go out into the Wilderness, some people experience a lot of vulnerability. And one of the reasons for this, I think, is the world, the civilized world we live in, almost everything, almost everything that there is was invented for our comfort. The floor we walk on, the color of the paint on our walls, the clothes we wear, is for our comfort. And that might have an effect. But when we're in the wilderness, we're very vulnerable Our life at best could offer the forest its own rotting corpse. And the forest is, which we view is so alive, the trees, the birds, is mostly dead. All the ground below is the deceased, the great mass out of which these tiny hundred foot trees peek their heads out for a few hundred years. how much less significant our own bodies. And to be somewhere where there is no one and no thing, if even only for their own commercial benefit, looking out for our comfort is, is vulnerable. Because we are somewhere that really sees our death is okay, but we have not necessarily woken up to that view. It is nature that made us, and we must pay homage to our original home. Rupert Spira has the expression, 
It is not the person who meditates, but rather the person that arises within the meditation. So as we arise within our own original naked mind and pay homage to that mind when we come and sit sashin, become saturated by it, become wetened by it. So too in grasses and trees sashin, in earth and sky sashin, we pay homage to the forest, to the world before our construction. It's true that when we're inside, we really can get a lot done. Papers don't fly around, doesn't get too hot or too wet. Mosquitoes don't bite. Yellow jackets don't swarm food while we're preparing it. We can see at night because we can turn the lights on. But these are all means to accomplish human ends. Ends that may or may not be significant to the greater world, the world of the earth and the sky. But our basic needs, the breath that we breathe, the water that we drink, the basic nutrients that make up the food that we eat, however much we adorn our meals, none of these are our creations. These are all provided for us. The basic nutriments of our lives are not things that we create. They are provided by the natural world and we are completely dependent upon them. They are nature's creation as are we. And just so, the basic nutriment within ourselves is not something that we as humans can accomplish. It's not something that we can wisen up to. It's not something that we can become strong enough for. It's not something that we can build. It's not our aspirations. It's not our works of art. It's more basic than that. And it's what we're born from. We should not think that water exists in rivers or oceans, but rather it is rivers or oceans that exist in water.
who we think that once we have our basic nutriments, water, food, functional society, then from there, meaning is something that we can create out of our lives. That meaning is something that is not before our efforts, but rather a product of our efforts and therefore our anxiety because it's something we may or may not accomplish. But maybe meaning or purpose is something that we're born from. And yesterday, chosen red lines from Mary Oliver's poem, When Death Comes, describing the body as a line of courage and something dear to the earth. The body is a product of the earth. Do not think that water exists in rivers and oceans, but see that rivers and oceans exist in water. Do not see that people exist on the earth, but see that the earth arises and forms people, and thus they are dear to it. Do not see the wilderness as outside of our civilization, but rather our civilization within and of the wilderness, and therefore completely subject to it. And it's the same within our own minds. Meaning is not to be found in the creation of our thoughts or beliefs or stories. We must pay homage to the wilderness of the earth as the birthplace of our civilization, and we must pay homage to the wilderness of our own mind as the birth of ourselves. But this territory of our own mind, the wilderness within our own mind, is territory which our own self, out of fear, has forbidden itself to go. And yet that's where nutriment lies. And the wilderness helps many of us connect with that. Because the wilderness is not afraid of this, of this basic life beyond death. Watching one single sunset, and we can see that Nothing that we have ever worried about matters. This single sunset 
a daily occurrence, something that has occurred daily for five billion years. Our lives aren't a footnote in the history book of the sunset. The sun. We can't think a single thought that is not wholly dependent on the continual clockwork of the sun. The elements of the natural world are inspiring and symbolic. They appear in the writing of our ancestors and our modern poets. We drive places to see them and get binoculars to see them better. We buy postcards with pictures of them. We buy large television screens so that when they are on our TVs, we can see them better. And this inspiration is real and something we must use to our advantage. We must effort like the sun. shining in all directions, aware of nothing but its own illumination, not a shadow in its sight. A few weeks ago during Wilderness Ashin, I was sitting near uh, uh, a brook on Mount Hood. Shanae had led the group down a, down a mountain slope into a wonderful off-trail meadow. And there was this glacial brook descending down whose waters I saw weeks ago passed by the Columbia out to the ocean. The weightlessness of water, the aliveness as it crashes into rocks, travels with immense velocity, just smashes, changing direction, splattering. We must be weightless like water, fluid like water, changing direction when we're told to. And continuing without interruption, without reservation, until the next obstacle appears in our way. It is brooks, it is waterfalls that exist in water. 
cascading down a hundred foot waterfall. The water knows only itself all the way down. We must have the view of the mountain. Century old trees as our children. Massive fires simply making time for a new era. Shifting tectonic plates as creative as they are destructive. And we must be porous like the wind. Only aware of ourselves by our relationship with the things we encounter. And no sense of being otherwise. The Buddha had a list of 13 aesthetic practices that were recommended, three of which pertain to sitting in the forest. And each of them has uh, a, a beginner, intermediate, and advanced version. Uh, one of them is to live in the forest. The beginner version of this is to only come to the temple, to the city monastery during the rainy season. And of course, the advanced version is to be in the forest all year long. Then there's the practice of dwelling beneath a tree. For the beginner's practice, uh, you are welcome to request that a lay person come and level the ground for you. For the intermediate practice, although direct manipulation of the earth and ground is not permitted, you may request someone to bring a broom and sweep the leaves. The advanced practice, no sweeping, no arranging the earth. You're not allowed to pick your own tree. Correction. You are, around, you are allowed to arrange the leaves, but only if you use your foot. And finally, the practice of bare earth and no shelter. Practicing bare earth, no shelter. In the Jain tradition, uh, there's the expression of, of Dressing with the sky or wearing the sky as your robe. Um, nudity is also part of that practice. Bare earth, no shelter. Uh, for a beginner, you are welcome to build up a little bit of leaves for shelter, it says, or sit by a cliffside for mild shelter. Intermediate practice, you may sit under the shadow of a tree, but not at the foot of a tree. You may also sit at the shadow of a mountain or of a house, but of course not under a roof. An advanced practice, no shadow of anything. 
to sit in the forest, but to not even be shaded by a tree. Though I will share, it is permitted to use one part of your three-piece robe to put up as a tent. So as you may have seen, some do putting the sleeves over the face seems like is a uh, multi-thousand-year-old practice. It is a wonderful practice to go out into the forest and not come back until tomorrow. It's a very temperate climate where we live. You don't need to bring anything with you. Sometimes we need to practice that things are okay with our bodies by bringing our bodies where conviction tells us we will be safe but the neurosis in our mind still worries. And of course, going out into the woods here is safe. Very safe. And far safer than a city, statistically. To lie down when we're tired uncovered, walk around some more if the mosquitoes haven't gone to bed yet, just to feel at home in the forest. Where for so long we felt at home before other things became important. But now we spend time sitting in the forest and have to ask ourselves whether or not they actually are. We have to practice our faith in the okayness of this life by venturing into where we don't feel okay. And by sitting a little longer, by running a little farther, by working a little harder, by reading our child one more bedtime story, entering the conversation that we know will be messy, and doing so out of faith that things are basically okay and that life is basically good. Because if it doesn't help us when we struggle, then it wasn't the Dharma. That doesn't help us when we stub our toe, then it wasn't the Dharma. It doesn't help us when we feel insecure, then it is not the Dharma. 
that doesn't help us if it doesn't help us in an unshakable way in a way that we can reliably return to then it's not the dharma The practice must deepen our relationship to ease while at the same time broaden our capacity for struggle. Because struggle is okay. Can we steer our lives according to our own aspirations while at the same time being open to the glory of the great mystery of the wilderness, which at any moment can turn it all completely upside down. I read that story of from the Polycanon about getting shot by or getting stabbed by a spear 300 times a day, every day. It was not one of the Buddha's recommended ascetic practices. But it teaches that every difficulty is worth facing. Every difficulty that we're facing is worth facing. The earth is simultaneously day and night. It is always a sunny day and a rainy day. We must make our personal aspirations within the earth, because our lives are within the earth, but ultimately we are the earth's aspiration, and that includes our life and that includes our death. It is rivers and oceans that exist in water. Do not think that people exist within the earth. It's simply that the earth arises and becomes people. People make this distinction, but the earth does not. And this is the earth that we must come to know in our sitting. This earth that we must come to know is simply a process of gravity. We must fall back into ourselves. Sit with the earth, the breezes, the trees, the grass, the birds, all of whom have been sitting with us for our entire lives. Please embrace the wilderness of your mind, not the wilderness of thought or worry, but the wilderness of mystery. 
the wilderness of not knowing, the wilderness of listening closely to the sound of cricket as the owl does at night. waiting for any perturbation that might be a meal. We must listen as if our life depends upon it because it does. Please embrace the wilderness of your own mind, the wilderness of deep faith, that this life and all of its ugliness was born from great beauty. And all we need do to have conviction in this is look at the night sky from which our son was born. Or into the eyes of a child out of which an entire life will arise, a beautiful and ugly life, as all are. A great beauty out of which our lives arise is our own. And as we arise from it, we belong to it. So please make great effort not to fix yourself, not to make yourself better, not to come out on top, but to notice what's really happening at the depths of your own mind, to notice what it is that moves you, to not be fooled by yourself, to not be taken under siege by your own delusion. And just as the owl miss out on her meal, if she does not pay exquisite attention, you will miss out on the source of your own life if you do not do the same, for that is the only way that it will reveal itself to you. Inevitably, peace of mind is something that comes and goes. but its root beckons. And that's why we're here. So please pay homage to the forest who has been here far longer than us and has been here well, well before we ever considered that there might be something wrong and pay homage to your own mind that knows the same. And let the trees whisper that knowledge to you. Please listen very closely, very quietly, sit very still and wait, not for something to happen, but for what you already know
for what you and the crickets share, for what you and the trees share,